This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Have you tried out Book Riot Insiders? If not, your time is now. It's our resource specifically designed for our fellow book nerds, and you can try it for free for two weeks. There are different levels available, so you can decide which perks you want from a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter to exclusive podcasts and giveaways. And speaking of perks, we've got the new release index, which is curated by our resident velocireader, Liberty Hardy, so you can see the most exciting new books coming in the next few months. Check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 195, and we are recording on August 27th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. My kids are home because they don't have camp, so there might be random <laughs> screaming in the background. We will see. I sent them outside. There is a feral pack of children who roam my neighborhood, and my children are like members of this feral pack. Right. Occasionally, blood spills, so we're just mm. going to hope that that doesn't happen while we're recording the show. <laughs> so my mom like grew up in a family of six or seven kids, and mm. uh, they were their own feral pack. And mm-hmm. to this day, they're like, how do you know you had fun if somebody didn't get hurt? Like, that's just the mentality. Yikes. That is, yep. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for me as a millennial parent to be like, go outside, and I'm going to not know where you are in this neighborhood for the next seven hours. But I do it because it's, you know, it's good for them. But yeah, and your neighborhood is nice. It is. It's nice and it's small. And I can hear them screaming. So (laughs) I know they're close, you know, right? close enough (laughs) to hear the screams. (laughs) That's really all you need as a parent these days. Mm -hmm. Okay, so anyway, moving on how the show works. Like I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can email your reading recommendation request to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can put them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. And these can be anything. They can be reading recommendation requests for you or your book club or for a gift or whatever. Um, If you have a time-sensitive question, please put that in the subject line of your email or in big bold letters in the first line if you're using the form so we'll get to it on time. Also, we might email you back if we're not going to get to it on time. Okay. We have a few. Um, oh, wait, this is just one. One uh, piece of feedback from Suzanne um, who says uh, regarding the Alpha in the Sheets, Beta in the Streets request Good Neighbor by Molly O'Keefe is about a girl who gives all her money to her twin sister when she needs to go on the run. She moves into a crappy apartment building next to the airport, and her neighbor is a super sexy, surly dude. Super sexy, surly. That's a great. A TLC song right there. Super sexy, surly dude, possibly doing something illicit in the basement. Um, so there's that one. She also recommends Lila Pace's duology, asking for it slash begging for it, uh, which is really clear about making the distinction between a fantasy that gets you off and real life. Okay, so let's move on. I'm going to read the first question. Jen's going to tell us about our first sponsor, and then away we will go. So our first question is from EW, who says, I've recently been inspired to write my own novel and have started envisioning my story, characters, and setting. However, as I've gotten started, I've realized they have no idea how to write a book at all, let alone a book that people might actually want to read. 
I'm looking for a book on how to write books, specifically how to design compelling characters, write dialogue, design settings, inspire emotion, and just the basics of writing that every writer needs to know. I've read Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott and loved it. I'm looking for other books to help guide my writing process. If it helps at all, I'm hoping to write a character-driven coming-of-age novel. All right, Jen. Well, for all of you audiobook listeners out there, which is basically all of you, (laughs) you can get your audiobooks lots of places, and you can also now get them directly from your independent local bookstore with Libro FM. They have more than 100,000 audiobooks that you can pick from, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. And the audiobooks are the same price as the other audiobook companies out there, but you will be supporting your local community. And all you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app, and there will be recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, which are local booksellers. So if you are a listener of Get Booked, which you obviously are, you can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. And with each listen, you can take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. All right. Do you want me to keep talking? <laughs> sure. Okay, so a book on writing books. I am so excited to recommend Steering the Craft by Ursula K. Le Guin because she remains like one of my all-time favorite authors forever. And this is a great book because it is exercises along with some really pithy essays on how storytelling works. And there are like super specific exercises like write one scene from the point of view of a bunch of different characters or, you know, I don't know. She gives you all kinds of different prompts and things. It's been years since I picked this up, but I remember it so clearly. And I loved hearing her thoughts on how good writing works. And obviously she herself was an amazing writer. And the exercises were really fun for the most part. Um, And some of them were really hard, which, you know, writing is hard. So that makes sense. But uh, but yeah, I think you'll find this super useful because it really is a workbook. It's also pretty slim. It's like 173 pages. But there's a lot of good information in that slim book. So again, that's Steering the Craft. The subtitle is Exercises and Discussions on Story Writing for the Lone Navigator or the Mutinous Crew. And it's by Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, Okay, I picked On Writing, a memoir of the craft by Stephen King, um, which, of course, is, (laughs) you know, he's successful, obviously. So Just a bit. Just a little. I love this book so much. So it's a a memoir of the craft. It's exactly what it says in the subtitle. It's a little bit about his life, how he became a writer and got into writing and the challenges that he's faced, um, including like a really debilitating addiction to cocaine uh, and then a life-altering, like, near-death accident where he got hit by a van outside of his house in Maine and how that affected his writing also um, woven into his ideas about like what makes a book a good book. My favorite part about this book, though, is that he takes his first draft of the first chapter of one of his stories. Um, oh, what was it called? They made it into a movie with, uh, well, I can't remember anyone's name or the name of any stories, apparently, either. <laughs> Whatever. We'll move on. It's about a haunted hotel room. Ooh. John Cusack. That's who it was. They made a movie with John Cusack about this short story about a haunted hotel room. Moving on. He takes the first chapter from his first draft of that story, which is not great, as first drafts tend to not be. And then he shows you all of his edits. 
Like he makes notes. He shows you the first draft and then the final draft and puts notes in the margin. Like he's photocopying his annotated pages um, from where he made all the edits by hand. Like he prints off the pages of the first draft and then writes the edits in and, and explains his reasoning along the way. So you can actually see him, this like master of storytelling, as he's working through improving his dialogue, tightening up the structure, tightening up the pace, um, like fixing the POV issues. Like you can see him actually working through all of these things that you mentioned that you want to get better at or don't know how to do. And his reasoning is so clear and it makes so much sense. I'm not a fiction writer, so it was like revelatory to me because I've never <clears> even <throat> tried, you know? I was like, oh, it's like looking behind the curtain almost. <laughs> like this is magic. I feel like I'm watching magic happen um, because you are. Like the man's a genius. So uh, I think that it's it's helpful to see both the memoir part of how he overcomes like imposter syndrome and all of the rejections he got when he first started writing and all of these things that, you know, a lot of writers struggle with. Um, and then also the like nitty gritty, how he writes, like literally just how he does it um, and how he works with his editor, all this stuff. It's very behind the scenes and super, super helpful. So that's On Writing by Stephen King. All right. Our next question is from Sarah, who says, I was wondering if you had any recommendations for a lesbian Regency romance. I've read a few with male romance and a ton with hetero romance, and I love these, but haven't heard of any featuring a lesbian. I've read Sarah Waters and some other lesbian romance set in Victorian or early 20th century, but really hoping for a Regency romp in the vein of Tessa Dare or Sarah McLean or Courtney Milan. Um, I'm just going to keep talking. I, I, you wouldn't know because, well, I don't, it doesn't seem like you know because she's written so many books, but Courtney Milan has actually written a lesbian Regency novella. Ta da! <laughs> it's amazing. It's called Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure, and it's technically part of the Worth saga, but again, as always, you don't have to have read the other ones, although you probably already have, maybe. I don't know which ones <laughs> you've read and which ones you haven't, but anyway, it's in there. And it is about a 73 year old widow named Bertrice Martin, who is like, still going strong and is a really sassy sort of don't care doing whatever I want. I'm 73 and I can sort of person <laughs> who has an absolutely terrible nephew. And then a younger woman, she is 69, comes into her life, a spinster named Violetta Beauchamp. And she tracks down Bertrice because the terrible nephew is living in her rooming house and she wants him out. And Bertrice is like, I don't care what he does. He is not my problem. But but she is very compelled by Violetta and so gets involved and one thing leads to another, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's Courtney Malinch. She's fantastic. And I love that this is like an older ladies lesbian Regency romance. It's so many things you almost never see all rolled up mm, into one. Mm -hmm. So again, that's Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure. Look, I am on my county public library website right now <laughs> trying to find this book. I am um I need this in my life. They don't have it. All right, I'm just going to buy it. This is what's happening. Oh, my library has it and yeah, I think it's like 3.99 or something. It's very affordable cuz novellas. Yeah, yeah. Mine's also a novella, so that's great. Um I picked A Little Light Mischief by Cat Sebastian, which I just read. If you follow me on Instagram, you saw me post about it like 14 times, which is excessive for a novella, but it is so much fun. Uh it's about a lady's maid named Molly who in her previous life, before she became a lady's maid, was like very, um, I don't know, like street, street, what? not street smart. She's criminal. She was criminal. <laughs> uh, she, was a, <laughs> she was a thief um, and she worked as a sex worker and has got this job now as a lady's maid and has like is trying to 
stay on the straight and narrow and keep her job. She has a daughter. And so she's trying to like support a child. She's a single mom. Um, and so she's like trying to not cause any trouble in this job. And then along comes Alice, who is her employer's very proper um, like ladies companion, not ladies maid, but companion who was living in gentle poverty. Alice got kicked out of her father's home. Her father is a very uptight, terrible, um, again, I never remember the word for English preachers, vicar, whatever, uh, preacher of some English variety. And she, Alice, uh, while living in her father's home, gets assaulted by a man, a guest, like this just 21-year-old awful dude. Um, and she does the thing that you do when you get her. She screams. Like, she screams when he tries to give her these, like, unwanted advances. And, get, of course, she gets blamed for tempting him or whatever and gets kicked out of her father's house. So she is taken in by this, like, really awesome lady as her companion. But Alice does not know what to do with herself now. Like she's lived in genteel poverty her whole life. So she's very used to like cooking, cleaning, scrubbing, sewing, all these things that gentle women are not supposed to do. But now she's bored. And then one day over her like very boring, boring embroidery, she looks up and realizes that like Molly the maid has a really nice butt. (laughs) I enjoy this view. And then things kind of go from there because the man who caused all this trouble for Alice shows up at a house party where both of them are and they decide together using Molly's previous thieving skills and Alice's uh newfound verb for life if you know what I'm saying they're gonna like make him pay so like the hat pins are involved and there's a heist and there's a terrible man getting his comeuppance and there's two awesome lady characters falling madly in love with each other and one of them is a single mom and I love that because I am a single mom and I don't see single moms in romance enough there should be more especially in regency romance unless they're like widows anyway it's just like heartwarming and lovely it's very cute like their relationship is super sweet i wouldn't put it like really high on the steaminess level um but it's you know there (laughs) um it's not like super explicit but it's not inexplicit i just really enjoyed it it's a great summer read so that's a little light mischief by cat sebastian Okay, question three is from Tamika, who says, I wanted to get into more books about true crime. It creeps me out, but I like reading about it. It's like watching shows about it. Can't get enough. Can you recommend me some true crime books that'll really send chills down my spine? We can. We can and we shall. So I'm going to keep going. My pick for you is The Fact of a Body by Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich. And this is a bit of a cheat because I did not finish this book and I did not finish this book because it freaked me out. So I feel like that makes it like perfect for you because that's exactly (laughs) what you're looking for. Um, It was actually selected for my book club and so many of the members of my book club texted the woman who picked it to be like, I can't read this, that we had to pick a new book because all of us are just weenies. We're just weenies. Okay, so it's a a combination of true crime and autobiography. The author Alexandria is working at a law firm in Louisiana, and she gets hired to defend a man who is accused of murder. And she herself is like a very anti the death penalty. She's was raised by two activist lawyers, and she has a lot of opinions about it. Um, But while she's doing research for the case, and she starts watching old tapes of this guy who's in jail, Ricky, talking about the crimes that he commits. And she has, like, she's overcome with this emotion of wanting to, like, send him to the electric chair herself. Like, she does not understand why she's having such a visceral reaction to this guy. And his story, she's starting to feel like is, like, weird. It's familiar. Like, what is happening? Um, What are my feelings is basically the first few chapters. And so she starts, you know, going over the facts of his, of the murder of this case and of Ricky himself, the criminal of his actual childhood. um, And these, like, 
long buried family secrets that Alexandria herself has been carrying around her whole life start to come to the surface that she has to deal with. Um, all the trigger warnings, all of them, the book opens with a child, a six-year-old boy being murdered, um, and which is when I closed the book because I have two little boys and I could not. But yeah, it is very, it's like, it's so well written. I will say even the small parts that I did read, which was about only about a chapter, it's very compelling. It's super well written. She knows what she's doing with a pen. It's just a lot. Like it is very dark, especially because she's telling her own story. It's not just that you're reading a book about a crime committed by someone else that this lawyer is dealing with. It's like also wrapped up in her own uh, emotional kind of not meltdown, but like her own emotions. So that's The Fact of a Body, A Murder and a Memoir by Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich. I asked Liberty for help on this one because she reads all the true crime and I am the scarediest of cats, so I read none of it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she told me that the most recent book that she's recommending because it quote unquote really effed her up <laughs> is American Predator by Maureen Callahan. And this is a home invasion Ugh. true crime yep my, my forever nightmare uh so i will not be reading it but you might like it it sounds really intense it is about a woman well so maureen callahan uh she's a journalist and she heard about the trial of a killer named israel keys who was apparently one of the most ambitious and meticulous serial killers of our time the fbi considered his behavior unprecedented apparently um and he what he did was he would bury like kill kits in various locations across the country over the course of like 15 years, fly to a city, rent a car and drive thousands of miles to use them and like break into strangers houses and abduct his victims and then kill them and then go back to Alaska where he was a construction worker who had a daughter and like resume his normal life. And it took them a really long time, obviously, to catch him. And Alaska PD was involved in the investigation, which is not a police department you hear about basically ever, really. Mm. Uh, so there's some interesting geography in this. And uh, yeah, Liberty said she bought curtains because <laughs> she was so freaked out by this book for her house. Um, and and she, yeah, she highly recommends it. So if that sounds like something that will send chills down your spine, it definitely will. Uh, that is American Predator by Maureen Callahan. No. I know. <laughs> just all of the no. <laughs> no forever. Uh, okay. So a less terrifying question from Morgan. My fiance and I are taking a little bit of an unconventional honeymoon in October to Vancouver, Canada. I'm looking for recommendations for books that take place in that area. I love pretty much every genre except horror and romance. And I am particularly enjoy stories, both fiction and nonfiction that emphasize culture and food. Bonus points if it's a cozy read that will go well with the gloomy October weather. So I picked you a short story collection called Better Living Through Plastic Explosives by <laughs> Susie Gardner. It's a great, it's a great title. This is like a very strange sort of like a little bit magical realism Karen Russell kind of short story collection. I read it a couple years ago and I apologize in advance. I cannot remember if there are any trigger warnings for this book. Um, but I remember being just cracked up by how hilarious and wry and satirical the stories were. And they all have a touch of the strange about them. Like there's what there's this one that takes place in a very upscale neighborhood and then like 
a person that they think is a redneck but actually turns out to maybe be like a Neanderthal moves in and a bunch of stuff happens and, you know, there's like real estate commentary and, you know, movie industry stuff and all kinds of wacky, weird short stories. So I thought they were very entertaining. I remember this short story collection fondly. And they are very much about very specific parts of Vancouver life. Like there is a huge filming industry up there and there are these neighbor. There's a lot of different sort of neighborhoods of varying classes. And, you know, she digs into all of that stuff. So again, that's Better Living Through Plastic Explosives by Susie Gartner. And Susie is spelled S or excuse me, Z-S-U-Z-S-I. Okay, I picked The Jade Peony by Wayson Choi, which is actually a work of historical fiction. Uh, so it takes place in Vancouver in Chinatown in the like late 30s, early 40s, uh, before, right before World War II. And it's about a family of three children and a grandmother who live in Chinatown. Um, the grandmother is very old fashioned uh, and came to America after, like, escaping a life of servitude. And, like, her childhood was rough. Like, she was pronounced so unattractive at birth, which, like, babies? Whatever. She was pronounced so unattractive at birth that her family decided it wasn't even worth, like, binding her feet. Like, that was not even what's the point? No one's going to marry her. Um, So she ends up being sold into servitude. And anyway, she comes to the U.S. She's got her three grandkids. Um... The little girl, her name is Jook Liang, and she she just wants to grow up to be Shirley Temple. Like, this is her only dream. Um, and their brother, there's a brother who is adopted who is gay and is trying to, of course, figure out how to deal with that in the 30s in Chinatown uh, with a grandmother who is extremely old-fashioned. Um, and then there's a third brother who is, like, very much trying to uphold, you know, all of the ways that being the firstborn male in a family um like do all the things that that someone like that would need to do. He's very much dealing with like inner turmoil about it though. Um, and then they are, yeah, it's very much like a family story about these three kids trying to fit in or trying to make a good life for themselves and get the things that they want and have the lives that they dream of in America. Um, while the, while their grandmother is very actively trying to prevent that from happening, like trying to prevent them from becoming Westernized. The old ways are the best ways kind of stuff. Um, and her, points of view are very restrictive. Like, she does not think that children over a certain age should play. They should work. Um, She does not think girls really have any value whatsoever. And so, of course, having a granddaughter who wants to be Shirley Temple is, like, maybe her worst nightmare. Um, And it's a very dramatic book. There's a a lot of talk about, like, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of dealing with war. Um, But if you're going to Vancouver, Vancouver has a really established Chinatown. And I think that getting a look at what that was like in the early 20th century would be a really interesting reading experience when you're visiting it now. So that's The Jade Peony by Wayson Choi. All right. Oh, we're going to talk about our second sponsor. Our second sponsor is The Crown, not The, it's just Crown, Crown of Coral and Pearl by Mara Rutherford. This is a YA fantasy novel. Um, and I love this. I'm going to, I never do this, but I'm going to read you like the tagline because I think it's so great. For generations, the princes of Alara have married the most beautiful maidens from the ocean village of Varenia. But though every girl longs to be chosen as the next princess, the cost of becoming royalty is higher than any of them could ever imagine. I love that. It's so dramatic. <laughs> um, I just, it's like, dun, dun, dun. You just want to like, oh, goodness, drama. Um, so it's about a girl named Noor who wants to, like, dreams of going to Alara, right? She lives in this tiny little ocean village and she wants to get out. 
But this child, she had an accident when she was a kid, so she's permanently scarred. She's never going to be chosen to marry the crown prince. That's not happening. So her twin sister is like raised. It's a very uprooted kind of premise. Like her twin sister is raised to be the one who's going to be chosen. Um, but then Zadie, who's the twin, has a big accident and Nor has to go. Like she's got to go marry a crown prince. And for some reason, I really love, I just read A Winter's Promise, which has the same kind of thing. Like I love an arranged marriage gone awry in YA. I think that's, mm. it's like such a fascinating, weird subgenre for me to like oh i like that but i do i like it so she is sent to alara uh and her future husband his name is prince Saren, is the worst he's like cold forbidding doesn't want to talk to her and she of course starts getting closer to his like nice younger brother talon hey uh and then while she's there she uncovers all these truths about the royal bloodline and how it's failing she gets uh, caught up in all this court intrigue it seems very like danny from game of thrones like she's thrown into this terrible situation that she did not ask for but suddenly finds herself in a really powerful position and court intrigue runs amok so that is Crown of Coral and Pearl by Mara Rutherford. Thank you for sponsoring this show. I love an arranged marriage. Don't know. It's a weird thing for me to say, but here we are. Okay, our next question is from S, who says, I'm starting the process of divorcing my husband, and I'm looking for support and an example from books as I'm struggling to find these things in real life. I'm not in an abusive situation, but I finally realized that I deserve a partner, not a dependent. This realization doesn't make the process easier, especially because I don't have any personal experience with divorce. No one in my family or close friends has gone through it. Not that I'm complaining. I just don't have a personal pattern or example to see that one can have a fulfilling life afterwards. I'm looking for examples of women or non-binary folks, just no dudes, please, who have made it through divorce and come out the other side happy and successful with or without a new partner. I'm open to nonfiction or fiction. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, This might be a cliche selection, but I read this and then watched the movie 14 times when I first left my husband. So I just keep saying it. And it's Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Um, And if you, I don't even know if I need to talk about the synopsis, but I I will. Um, When Cheryl, this is a memoir. So when Cheryl was 22, uh, her mother had died and her marriage was falling apart. And so she gets a divorce and then decides she's going to walk the Pacific Crest Trail, which is this huge, that like a thousand miles. It's over a thousand miles, I think, um, from the Mojave Desert to Oregon and Washington to Washington State. It's a hiking trail. And so she decides she's going to do it. She's going to do it alone. Everything is falling apart. Her marriage is over. Her mother is dead. She does not know what to do with herself. So she does it. She, and it's a memoir of her like going on this hike. Um, and while she's on it, like releasing her her guilt about her mom and how she treated her mom and her relationship with her mom and also releasing her feelings of guilt and everything else that she has tied up um, in her about her marriage and her divorce. And she also like is flashing back to how she met her husband, how they got married, what happened to make their marriage fall apart. Um, and she's also was not in an abusive situation. Actually, you could make the argument that she was abusive to her husband a little bit, uh, or maybe a lot of it. Uh, she does not deal with the death of her mother in any kind of healthy way. She totally spirals. She gets, she just starts like, she gets addicted to heroin. She cheats on her husband several times a week with pretty much anyone who will have her. Uh, and her, so her husband and her have this like, they like each other, you know, the end of their marriage isn't really about how they treated each other so much as it is about her not being able to deal with the death of her mother in any way that a healthy person could like survive. And so after she goes through this experience of going on the hike, uh, at the end of the book, she's not like 100% better, everything's fine, you know, but she is on her way. And now this, she wrote this book, when did she write it? I think she wrote it in 2012. But it's a memoir of what she did in her early 20s. Cheryl Strayed is now I think in her 50s, um, and has a new husband who she's been married to for like a decade. She's got kids. She's obviously super successful. She's friends with Oprah, like she's doing fine. Um, And so I think that it's a nice, uh, 
I, the, I think the reason why I was so drawn to this when I first was getting divorced is because she doesn't pretend like it's not hard and she doesn't act, she doesn't pretend like she had no, no fault in it. You know, she might I mean, she takes on okay, obviously a lot of it is her fault, um, but she never tries to act like it doesn't take two to make a situation like that fall apart. Um, and she's just so like wise <laughs> and gives you such permission to feel all of your feelings um, and also gives you a bit of a roadmap or hiking map hey, um, for how <laughs> to come out of it. Like she's not going to say she's not saying you have to go hike a thousand miles, but like you do need to make progress, you know. You do need to purposefully try to move on. So it's just amazing. It's just great. And Reese, Wither- Reese Witherspoon does a great job in the movie, which I watched, again, 14 times. So that's Wild from Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail by Cheryl Strayed. Yeah, I also second that and want to mention her. Uh, it's I guess it's not actually an essay collection. It's a collection of the advice columns that she wrote for The Rumpus for a long time. It's called Tiny Beautiful Things. And every piece in there was a response to somebody sending in a question. And some of them are about divorce or parents or family or friends or just money or whatever. But they're all amazing because she's writing from the perspective of somebody who has been through all of the events of Wild and really grown and has so much wisdom to share. It's just fantastic. Um, I have welcome to the divorce corner where we have feelings about various things. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will I will say I'm also divorced and I will tell you that it was really hard, but you I have a much better life now than I've ever had before and mm-hmm. it was it was the right decision. And so, you know, you can do it. Like we're here to tell you you can do it. Um I have a tiny rant, which is that I, I had a really hard time finding anything by an author of color, like a memoir about divorce in the Cheryl Strayed vein. By a person of color. Like, I just I couldn't find one, which was very frustrating because I really wanted to, like, branch out um, and give you something that wasn't a usual suspect or didn't feel like a usual suspect. But I there just is a real lack and publishing should get on that um, because those stories are out there and we need them. I picked Blue Plate Special for you. It's by Kate Christensen, and it is a collection of essays, uh, a that she originally wrote for her blog and then sort of polished up, I think added some material and put together into this book. And it makes a really great book. I don't always love the blog to book format, but I loved this. And the thing I love about Kate Christensen, who's written a bunch of novels, is that she loves food. And I had a really hard time eating weirdly Mm. right after my like husband and I split my ex-husband and I I just couldn't eat and my relationship with food underwent a bunch of changes and she talks about that and also just like there are recipes at the end of each little chapter and she has got such an interesting relationship with food that I really really appreciated that as well um this book does come with trigger warnings because Kate had a really rough childhood so trigger warnings for domestic violence and child abuse um pet death does occur in this book and there's disordered eating and drinking so if those are going to be problems for you or you just need to gird yourself you should know that um but this is she goes all the way back to her childhood and her you know like I said she grew up in a very troubled household her father was abusive towards her mother and the other thing I love about this, you were talking about like wanting a pattern or examples. Her mother got divorced, left her um, first husband with the girls. She had three girls at that point and then proceeded to remarry and divorce again um, and a couple more times, actually, and was still an amazing 
confident, successful woman. Like you don't like there's this stereotype of the repeat divorcee that doesn't have to be true. And I'm not saying like you should get divorced and remarried lots of times. I'm just saying that if that is a story that happens to you, you can still be an awesome, successful, caring, loving mother in person. Uh, And Kate herself gets married and then divorced. And you see the whole marriage and divorce and it's ugly and it's rough. And she has a really hard time leaving, even though she knows it's the right thing to do. And it is just really powerful. Her telling her story is really incredibly powerful. And I want to make all of these recipes now. It makes me want to eat. Um, so it gives me a lot of feelings in a lot of different places. And I think it's great. She's so insightful and such a good writer. So again, that's a blue plate special. The subtitle is in Autobiography of My Appetites by Kate Christensen. That's a good subtitle. Isn't it? It's good. Yeah. Okay, next question is from Stephanie, who says, I'm looking at a job in Richmond, Virginia. Hey, hey. And I'm a little apprehensive about leaving the Midwest. I would love to read anything set in Virginia, but not D.C. That would give me a sense of the place and its history, though I'm not looking for a Civil War history specifically. Uh, Read-alikes from other parts of the country that I've enjoyed and appreciated include Kristen Hanna's The Great Alone, J.D. Vance's Hillbilly Elegy, Minjin Lee's Pachinko, and Barbara Kingsolver's Prodigal Summer. I don't have a preference for fiction versus nonfiction and I read most genres, but I'm particularly loving multi-generational family stories like Pachinko, bonus points for LGBT characters. Um, There's also a shout out in here for the recent Manchester question. Kath Staincliffe writes the novels that the BBC series Scott and Bailey are based on, and they're set in Manchester. Thank you for that. Amanda, I'm going to stop talking now. What you got? Okay. You should definitely come to Richmond, Virginia, which is where (laughs) I live, and it is amazing. Also, I would like to point out that Rebecca, my boss... And the person from you know from the all the books podcast is from the Midwest and moved to Richmond and has been here for like a decade and loves it and will never leave because I will never let her. But also because <laughs> she loves it. But also I will never let her leave. So I'm just saying it's an excellent town. Plug, plug, plug. We have a great river. We're two hours from both the beach and the mountains. It's perfect. Everyone should move here. Except please don't do that because then it would be crowded and I hate it. So just you. I was just gonna say Virginia Department of Tourism appreciates your support. <laughs> Only Stephanie. Stephanie, move here. No one else come here. Okay, so let's talk about books. Um, I picked, oh, well, first I want to give a shout out to Animal Vegetable Miracle. You said you like Barbara Kingsolver. Animal Vegetable Miracle is her memoir about leaving the Southwest. She was living in the desert, I think in New Mexico. And she moves to a farm in Virginia, in rural Virginia, and then ri- and writes about her like a year of living on a farm in Virginia uh, and eating locally and like food and reconnecting with nature and all that stuff. So if you like Barbara Kingsolver, her memoir is about Virginia. So the novel that I picked is Shine, Shine, Shine by Lydia Netzer, who is a Virginia author. She lives in Norfolk, and her book is set in Norfolk. Norfolk is about two hours east. Uh, it has a really large naval base, which does inform a lot of the culture of Virginia. It's the largest naval base in the world, so there's that, or deep water naval base in the world. So this is a great, I love this novel so much. It's about a woman named Sunny who lives in like a very quiet part of Norfolk. She lives in a quiet Virginia town. And her husband is a genius, like a literal rocket scientist genius named Maxon. And he is an astronaut and he is going off into space. The day he goes into space, um, Sunny gets in a car accident, which makes her wig fall out of the window. And it is revealed to everyone that she is bald. And this is a big deal because Sunny is a very Stepfordy woman. Like, her husband is a genius. They have a lot of money. They just had a baby. And she is trying really hard to make them seem normal and nice and welcome and, you know, accepted in this Southern kind of, like, culture of 
perfection where everyone's hair is perfect. Her hair is not perfect. She has no hair. She has alopecia. Also, her son is autistic and her husband is on the spectrum somewhere. And so you flash back to how they met and they met in, they grew up together, uh, Sunny and her husband grew up together in a small rural Virginia town. Um, and they became really close friends. She was very abnormal as a kid, like did not care to fit in. And he was very drawn to that. He, of course, is on the spectrum. So didn't like had a hard time communicating with other kids. And she was drawn to that. So they grow up, they fall in love, they have a baby. And when she gets pregnant, Sunny starts spiraling down this like, ah, we're not normal. Like we're going to raise this child who's going to have a weird life because both of us are weird. Um, and it puts all of this pressure on their marriage. Um, and so she gets into that car accident. And then the same day, an accident on Maxon's rocket um, kind of happens. And so he has to deal with that in space. And she's dealing with all of this stuff um, down, you know, on Earth. And I think the reason why I picked this for you is both because Netzer is a Virginia author, but also like this book is it's not so much about like Virginia's history, but it is very slice of life. Like we do have uh, a NASA contingent in Virginia um, and this idea of like fitting in and being um, like a quote unquote normal kind of family is a very I mean, it's the you know, you can find that in every part of the country, but it is a very southern thing like fitting in and being like proper and a lady and all of that stuff is very much part of what the culture here is like it's not so much in richmond well it isn't parts of richmond the ones with the parts with money um but in like the normal parts of the town uh richmond can be very like hip and hipstery um but that like kind of cliche about being a southerner is real and the way that sunny grows up and reacts to it and then has this like almost mini breakdown as an adult when she has her own family and how she eventually like rejects it it's just really nice to watch um because you know hashtag not all southerners so i love this book so much it's so heartfelt everyone in it is amazing it's a little bit autobiographical which i love um yeah so that's shine 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 by lydia netzer i picked a history for you that i just read i read it when it came out many years ago and loved it so 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 much it's the wettest county in the world by matt bondurant and it's actually based on the true story of his grandfather and granduncles and it takes place in franklin county virginia where they were moonshiners during prohibition and the year after so they were very violent as you might expect for like backwoods roughneck moonshiners and they were notorious and they they're such big personalities and like there's so many interesting like family relationships and then there's action and you know murder and all kinds of stuff going on and you get the context of the depression and also drought and then prohibition and and it's just fascinating. And there's a uh, Sherwood Anderson, who is a actual like real life journalist and author, is also sort of a character in the book. What? Um, I didn't who, know that. Yeah, yeah. Who visits like the area and wants to try to like he's like trying to do reporting on them. And it's just so like gritty and meaty and like. It has a very Deadwood feel to it as well, although it's obviously a little bit more advanced in timeline than Deadwood. But like that, like everyone is covered in dirt all the time <laughs> and somebody could get stabbed. And but you also are really compelled by these characters because they're fascinating. So it's a really intense and really fantastic novel. They actually made a movie out of it, which I haven't seen. It's called something else. I didn't write it down because I'm a dummy, but uh, you could watch it as well. So again, that's The Wettest County in the World by Matt Bondurant.
my parents live in Franklin County. Do they? And this like scans. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I've never heard of this book. It's great. I'm going to send it to my mom. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I think you would love it. Yes. Okay. Last question is anonymous, and it says, I'm a first-generation Latina American, and in the wake of the El Paso shooting and all the hatred surrounding Mexicans and Hispanic people as a whole, I found myself at something of a loss. Reading is a place I inevitably turn to, and I was hoping you two ladies could recommend me some fiction about Latinx characters. It's something I've been doing all summer, actually, trying to seek out Latinx authors, and I know you will have great recommendations. I read pretty much any genre, though my favorite is fantasy. Some books I love and have read this summer are Water for Chocolate, The House on Mango Street, Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe, and a bunch of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I also read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which I loved, and even though it was a five-star rating for me, I do feel you can tell it isn't own voices, and right now I really need that. I'm also Cuban, so if you know any good books about Cubans, that would be a major bonus, but not necessary. I'm cheating a little bit here, and I never do this, which I feel like should be an indication of how much I love this book. I'm recommending Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez, and it's not out until September 17th, which is why it's a little bit of a cheat. And I'm sorry, but just pre-order it. Like, it's so perfect for what you're asking, and I loved it so much, (laughs) and I'm like an evangelical for this book. Pre-order it. Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. Okay, so this is um, a science fiction novel about uh, a space captain, Captain Eva Inocente, who is Cuban, and her and her crew run a ship called La Serena Negra, and they uh, run, like, it's like a cargo ship. Like, they run um, cargo jobs for money. It's very found family. If you like Becky Chambers, this is the thing you should absolutely read next. It's like Firefly, if Firefly were captained by a Cuban woman. (laughs) So, you know, better. Um, And so her, Eva is... um, when the book opens, she's transporting a cargo ship full of psychic cats, and then the deal falls apart, and so she's kind of stuck in space with like all these psychic cats and no money, and she doesn't know what to do, and she gets a telecommunication from an organization called The Fridge, which is like this really shadowy crime syndicate that holds people hostage, and they have her sister, Mari. And so she has to do, she has to run a bunch of really dangerous missions in order to pay the ransom and get her sister out, all while like not telling her crew, because... They, if they find out, um, Mari, you know, bad things will happen to Mari. So she has to keep it a secret. Um, also, she's developed like she's catching feelings a little bit for her engineer, who is not a human. I don't remember the name of his right, his you know, like alien. Quinian. Yes, Quinian. Thank you. Um, but their like relationship is so good and like so many feelings. I love the feelings. Um, and it's just like heists you know she has to go on a series of these missions to save her sister and so it's like one thing after another and they just get in more and more trouble and of course eventually her crew finds out what's going on and my favorite part of this book is when she offends this like galactic emperor guy who she doesn't recognize him but he hits on her in a bar and she rejects him completely and then he spends the rest of the book like following her around space in his giant spaceship causing like havoc and all it's just it's so great. It's just cozy. It's like cozy science fiction. Um, Ava is very proud of being Cuban and talks about her heritage a lot. There's a lot of Spanish in the book, which I loved. Um, and it's just so feel good and nice and like warm, fuzzy. <gasps> I love it. So that's Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. Everybody go pre-order it. So she keeps writing books because it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I read it because you wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah, and sorry. I <laughs> loved it. It's so good. And now I'm also like trying to get everybody to read it. It's fantastic. I thought it also had like a little bit of fifth element to it, which I mm. loved. And it's so funny. It's just so funny. And she I also love how 
incredibly foul-mouthed Ava is, yes. but she does it in Spanish, so you can, yes. like, you know, it's like, you can do it in a way that I wonder if it would have happened if it was in English. I just loved everything about this book. I thought it was great. Um, well, okay, so Amanda, speaking of prearranged marriages in YA. Yes! <laughs> yeah, you're going to want to read this one, too. So my pick for this question is We Set the Dark on Fire by Taylor K. Mejia, um, who is, identifies as Latina and biracial. And I read this when it came out last year, question mark, I want to say. It's, yeah, oh, February, not last year. Just kidding. Um, It feels like last year. February feels like last year. And I loved it because it is sort of a classic setup for, like, pseudo-dystopian YA, where there's this really corrupt sort of societal structure and it does involve prearranged marriages and you've got a girl who is trying to like keep her head down and do the thing but then she gets drawn into the conspiracy but what I loved about this is that it's also a queer story and it is deeply influenced by Hispanic culture and I was like oh this just feels so fresh like it just felt so much fresher than the other ones of its ilk that I had read recently so I really loved it it takes, it starts at this Medio school for girls and Daniela is the main character. She's the top student and she, upon graduation, will be selected by like a high society family to be one of the two wives of a husband. Um, and one of the wives is in charge of like organizing the household and like running things and being, you know, a political wife and all of those things, but will not be like they probably not going to have sex, for example. And then the other wife is the pretty one who's there to be sensual and take care of the emotions of the husband. So they've divided out these roles into two different people. And she's going to be like the organizing, political, etc. wife. And her secret is that she is actually from a very poor family and she's at the school like under false identity papers and she cannot like get found out or terrible things will happen to her and to her family. And she's been selected, you know, for her marriage and all of this stuff. And right before she's about to graduate, she gets contacted by the rebels who are like, we know who you are. And if you don't do things for us, we're going to blow your cover. And so she's very reluctantly involved at first, but then starts to like things go very poorly in her marriage, as you might expect, because mm. this is a terrible setup for everything <laughs> and for everyone. And the guy she marries ends up being emotionally manipulative and possibly abusive. And like she's so she's trying to figure out, like, how does she keep her family safe? She has so much duty and responsibility to her parents who sacrificed so much to get her a better life. But is this life actually better? And it's ugh, it's just there's a lot of feelings and her relationship with her like eventual co-wife who was her enemy arch enemy at school is amazing mm. it's so great so great so i really loved this it's the first in a series it does end on a cliffhanger just fyi uh so can't wait for book two to come out again that's we set the dark on fire by taylor k mejia and that's our show Hooray! Yay! Thank you so much for listening. Please go leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. You can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to y'all next week. Bye!